Good morning, church. My name is John Vandervald. I serve here as the executive pastor. It's a joy to preach this morning. I am really excited to teach God's Word this morning. I've been just excited all week. Um, I hope you're excited to, to learn something. I'm going to work hard to uh, bridge uh, Deuteronomy to our modern-day lives uh, today, so I hope you're uh, ready for a little bit of a journey as we we look to God's Word in the Old Testament and look to make application to our lives today. If you are a guest with us, we love guests at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hopefully you got to shake a hand of somebody here and they introduced themselves a little bit to you. I would invite you after the service to make your way to the gym. We've got a ton of donuts in there, some mediocre coffee, uh, but a lot of people that want to get to know you and will welcome you. And, uh, and greet you and get you uh, to know a little bit more about GEBC. Last few months, we have been making our way uh, through the book of Deuteronomy. And we started off kind of fast. We were clipping away a chapter a week, and then we got to chapter 5, and we, we pumped the brakes, and we spent 10 weeks going through chapter 5 and, and teaching on the 10 commandments. And then we picked up the pace again, and we did chapter 6. We did chapter 7. This morning, we're going to do chapter 8, and next week, we'll be doing chapter 9. And as I was preparing uh, for this Sunday, I thought, you know, before we jump into the text this morning, I thought it might be valuable to give a little bit of a refresher on the background, the context of Deuteronomy, kind of of where we're at in the story and what is going on so that we feel ready uh, to engage with Deuteronomy 8 today. I don't know about you, but I can kind of quickly forget about uh, the context of the story, where we're at, what's going on. So let me just briefly share a little bit of the background, a little bit of the context of the passage um, this morning and get us ready for chapter 8. So we are with Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel, God's people. They have been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they are now camped at the, on the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River, a, across from the famous city of Jericho, and they're getting ready to enter the promised land. A lot of things have happened in the past. So God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. He had brought them across the Red Sea, and he had brought them to the brink of the promised land 40 years ago. And when he got to the promised land, there's this kind of famous story of the spies, right, that go into the land, and they come back, and the report on how difficult it's going to be for Israel to take the land because there's giants who live in the land, and their cities are fortified, and, and but there's two, two spies, right, Joshua and Caleb, and they were faithful, and they said, no, with the Lord's help, we can do it. But Israel refuses. They disobey. They refuse, and they say, no, we're not going to take the land. And God's upset with them and, and uh, rebukes them for their disobedience. And then he says, you're not ready. Don't go into the promised land. And then with this weird kind of change of heart in the 11th hour, the Israelites say, oh no, we made a mistake. We should have listened. Let's go take the land. And they get demolished, right? They, they lose in a, in a battle. 
And God is, is upset with them once again because they actually disobeyed him. So when they didn't go in, they disobeyed him. And then when they decided to go in, they disobeyed him. And so God says, you're not ready. You've been disobedient. And so you are no longer allowed to enter the promised land. And he says, you are going to now wander in the desert for 40 years. Imagine that experience. This the second generation of Israelites just waiting for people to die so that they can enter the land. Just a miserable, desperate wandering in the desolation of the wilderness. Of course, God is there with them. He's providing for them. All of their provisions are coming from him. They're producing nothing on their own. There's manna, there's quail, there's water from a rock. All these things are happening, but this is not a wonderful experience. This is a testing and a trying experience for the Israelites. Well, the start of Deuteronomy, as I said before, is bring the Israelites are on the brink of entering the promised land now officially the second time. And Moses, in this moment, he sees the Israelites. He's, he's the father figure. He sees his children at the age and at the time where it's time to enter the promised land. And so he decides that he needs to teach these children all the important things that they, that they learned over 40 years ago when they made a covenant with God on Mount Sinai. Where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will protect you. I will build you into a nation. I will give you land and you will follow my laws and commandments. And now 40 years later, Moses feels this deep sense of urgency. Like, I need to get them ready to enter the promised land. There's so much that they have forgotten and haven't experienced and I need to teach them the law, and I need to remind them of the covenant. He's got this fatherly urgency. And I can relate to this at, at some level. I can relate a little bit to Moses. On Wednesday, we sent our first kid to college. Moved him into his dorm, and then he goes off on this amazing wilderness trip and does this whole thing. But building up to that Wednesday last week when we took him to college, there were all these conversations in our home. Things like, don't put colors with whites. <laughs> things like, here's how you write a check when you need to fill a check. If you need cash, you have to go to an ATM. You're going to want to wash your towels more than once a month. All these important conversations, this urgency of saying you're going on to the next thing. You're crossing over. You're out of our full care. You're on your own, and we need to tell you some stuff, and we need to get you ready. Now, clearly, the level at which Moses is dealing with these things is way beyond what I'm dealing with. I mean, we did make the trek across North Wheaton, down Harrison, <laughs> over to Traber Dorm. It was a journey. <laughs> we left him there. He's a full eight minutes away. Pray for us. <laughs> but today in, in Deuteronomy 8, we need, to, we need to recognize this urgency at which Moses is coming. This is a sermon 
for his people here in chapter 8. He needs to tell them some things and teach them some things so that they're ready to take the land and to prosper there. So let's read Deuteronomy 8 this morning. It's long. Hang in there with me. I encourage you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures or the words are on the screen. Moses says to the nation of Israel, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you and test you so that, you in, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroys before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. There's quite a bit going on in this passage, so we're going to break it down a little bit into kind of bite-sized pieces that we can interact with and apply to our lives today. Moses starts his sermon by saying, Remember the Lord your God and how he led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years. And he says this, To humble you and to test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This, This idea of humbling and testing jumps out to me. Moses is teaching the the Israelites that their time in the wilderness, these 40 years, is not simply a punishment. This is not just discipline for their, their bad behavior 40 years previous when they 
decided to enter, not enter, and, and disobey the Lord. It's, it's more than that. It's a refining time. It's a teaching time, a testing time, a growing time. He's, he's working on them and working on their hearts, testing them to make sure that they are ready to follow his laws and commands so that they will prosper in the promised land. This, this idea of testing is not simply getting the answers right or wrong. This is a time of growth, a time of teaching, a time of refining. Will they remember God? In the wilderness, as they're being tested, will they remember his commands? Will they cling to him? Will they walk in his ways? Will they hold fast to his teaching? Will they obey the laws? Will they live righteously? As they're being fed by manna and quail, will they recognize that their provisions come from God? Will they remember what he did for them in Egypt, how he rescued them from the bonds of slavery and has now given them freedom? Right now, Israel is at their lowest point, right? They are totally impoverished. They're not producing anything. They're living day by day at the handouts from God. They're not producing wealth. They don't have homes. They're living nomadic lifestyle. They're wandering in this waterless desert wilderness. They're snakes. They're scorpions. They are at their lowest point. They are hungry and humbled, God says. So would they hear Obey, follow, and love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength? Or would they forget him? At their lowest point, what would their condition of their heart be? Now church, I see a teaching for us in this. That we're going to face not the exact same thing that the Israelites are facing, but we are going to face difficulties in our lives. There are challenges that we will face in our lives. There are things that will bring us to our lowest point. The loss of a job, the loss of a spouse, the failing of a marriage, the, the loss of a child, the unwise decisions that we make with our finances that leave us in a terrible spot. There's all sorts of things. Physical health issues that day by day we just struggle with. It feels like we're just putting one foot in front of the other. In this desperate state, this impoverished state, this, this feeling of being refined, right, and tested. The question for us is how will we respond in those moments when the, the world feels like it's collapsing all around us? We're just holding on to pieces. How will we respond? What will the condition of our heart be? It, will it be one that's inclined to say, Lord, no matter what is happening in my life, I cling to you. I'll follow you. I'll be humble and righteous, obedient. What will the inclination be? of our hearts be when we're feeling crushed will we remember or will we forget now what's interesting to me in this passage is that god says he wants to know what's in their heart but if we know anything about god he already knows 
He knows what's in their heart. He knows what they need. This isn't like a, a path of discovery for God. He knows. He already knows what they're thinking. He knows the thoughts in their head. He knows the condition of their heart. He wasn't testing them because he wanted to truly actually discover something. He already know, knew what they needed. The fact that God tests, tests Israel, the fact that he is teaching them and refining them is, is a demonstration of his love for them. And Moses points this out. Like a father disciplining the son. Discipline is not always punitive. Discipline can, can be full of love and care and protection. This is a move, this testing process, this wanting to know their heart process is a move by God to say, I love you, I want to know you, I want to be intimate with you, I want, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. It's not just this punitive experience. This is a, a loving experience from God. And church, this is true for us too. When we face those hardships, and it feels like we're being tested and refined and taught something by God by going through difficulty in our lives. We can remember that that's happening because God knows us. He loves us. He wants to draw close to us. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, perseverance. let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Pure joy that God is, is allowing us to face these trials in our lives because he wants to test us and produce perseverance in us to prepare us to do his work. All right, Moses then turns. He turns in the passage to let Israel know about the future. Their first test was through deprivation and hunger, and now something else is about to happen. Something really amazing is about to happen. He's gonna, God's going to, to go before them, and they are going to inhabit, and they are going to take the promised land. And Moses says, you are entering an amazing land full of everything you could ever want or need. He says, you will lack nothing. You will eat and be satisfied. You will build houses and settle down. Your flocks and herds will grow large, and you will have gold and silver. Moses paints this crystal clear picture that where they're headed is nothing like where they've been. No snakes, no scorpions, no tents, no wandering, no manna, real bread on your table. They're going to feel settled. They're going to feel protected. They're going to feel secure. They're going to lack nothing. This is going to be an amazing experience. And Moses says, this too is also a test. You've been tested in your poverty. Now you're about to be tested in your affluence. Will you remember God when everything is amazing? When you have a house and it's really nice and you're settled and you've got money coming out of your pockets, gold and silver, and you can't even count your herds because they're so large. 
And you haven't had manna in like weeks because all you can do is just eat this amazing bread and there's pomegranates. I don't even really know what that is, but they're going to have them and they're going to have honey and milk. And it's just this amazing experience. And Moses is saying, God, are you, or Israel, are you going to remember me? Or are you going to forget me? In your affluence, are you going to remember are you going to remember what I have done for you? Or are you going to stand there and say, look what I have built and look what I have done. By the strength of my own hands, I've made all this amazing life for myself. Look at what I've done. I don't even remember Egypt. What happened there? I've done this for myself. I've earned this. This is what Moses is afraid is in the people's heart. That when they stand the test in their affluence and in their luxury as they're prospering and lacking nothing, that they will turn prideful and they will be forgetful. Now church, if there was ever an Old Testament passage that seems to really apply to our lives today, this one might be it. Now clearly, Moses is writing and teaching to the Israelites, and we are not them. This isn't written to us, but clearly, church, this is written for us. That we, in our affluence, in our beautiful homes, as we're settled and protected and feeling secure and we've got money coming out of our pockets, savings accounts and everything else that we have, that we can easily say, look what, all I, look what I've done. Look what I've produced. And we can forget that it all comes from God. Every breath you take is a gift from God. The sustaining of your life, the giving of your life, it all comes from God. We produce nothing on our own without him. What's really clear here is that Moses says that the thing that they will so quickly forget is their rescue. Their rescue from bondage and slavery in Israel. And church, what I get worried about for myself and for all of us in this room is that in our affluence and in our luxury as we stand and we start to get strong and we start to get prideful that we forget about our rescue. And it's not that we were rescued from Egypt, from the bonds of slavery, but we were rescued from our sin. The bondage of sin and the shame and the guilt that sin brings in our lives. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave rescues us from sin and the bondage of slavery. Just like the Israelites bound to slavery in Egypt, we were bound to our sin, and now we are free. And never forget what God has done for you. Never forget the rescue of your life and the salvation that you have as we sit in our homes and our settled lives and we have bread on our table and all that. Let's not forget Jesus. Let's not forget what God has done for us, that we will stand humbly, and obedient to him in his word, striving to be righteous, striving to follow his commands. This is the teaching of the word. This is what God has for our church this morning. As we look at Deuteronomy and we look at our lives today, let us take 
the reminder and the strong teaching of Moses. Five times in Deuteronomy 8, Moses says, remember, 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 remember. Don't forget, church. Let's not forget what God has done for us. Let's not forget the blessings that we have because of him. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, we love you. I thank you for Moses. I thank you for the beauty of your word that even in an ancient text like Deuteronomy, written thousands of years ago, these sermons taught thousands of years ago that we can glean truth from them today. God, I pray that in our in the challenging times of our lives, in the hard times in our lives, and then in the, in the wonderful times, in the, the prosperous times, that we will never forget you and what you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.